Hello, everyone. You're listening to the Winnipeg Music Project on 101.5 UMFM. I'm Ashley Vignesh. Today, I'm here with the lovely Shara, uh, Sarah <laughs> Joe Kirsch. Good job, me. Shara Joe Kirsch. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah. And how are you today? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Ashley. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm very excited to have you here. Um, you were one, my professor in university. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I know. Don't remind me. I I'm know. sorry. I had a lot of fun. Um, I'm with so your, glad that you did. Um, with your class um if you remember we did like a little like uh blog post yeah and i wrote a thing about kanye that was great being, um, by the way thank you. and i mentioned didn't i mention it in yeah, class I was, as well? yeah i was super proud of myself i was telling everyone i'm like that was me yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty great though it was western history of western art music after 1900 i'm not a musicologist so i uh it was a big challenge and it was also the semester of the strike, um, yes. which was super demoralizing yeah. as a sessional, like for the first time in mm-hmm. like a history lecture. Uh, but uh, but we got through it together. Yes. Only only a handful didn't make it through. So, okay. you know, it wasn't too bad. It wasn't too bad. Small, yeah. small handful, small mm-hmm. handful. And some for medical reasons. So it was fine. I didn't feel bad about that. But like uh, yeah. most everybody made it through. And I think that that's that's the goal. Right. It's like you want everybody to access what they need to access. And yeah. Whatever and stuff, and you know, I definitely learned a lot from the papers I had to write. So well, I think that's the best way to learn, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you can find uh, the things that you are particularly interested in. I mean, yes, an overall arc is important to have, you know, perspective, and and like it can help you provide context for yourself and your audiences as a performer. And um, but uh, but yeah, uh, for some people, paper writing is great. Uh, but for some people, it's a it's a yeah. real challenge. It's almost like a punishment. Yeah, I for, feel I, for me kind of sometimes too. Like I, I just hate getting started, but once I'm in it, it flows. Excellent. But it's always like that challenge of getting started. Like, what do I need to say? What what ideas do I need to express to get what point across? And yeah. ultimately, it's like if you can find your point to make, then it's uh, then it's easier. But some people just don't yeah. ever find that point, and that's the hard part. Mm-hmm. And it's like how yeah. do how do I get to this many words? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, <laughs> that's not the point. Yeah. It's like I end up having to, oh, well, for example, uh, just a little while ago, Tom Ingram, who is also an alumnus of the U of M, mm-hmm. uh, he's doing his master's right now in theory at McGill. And he just had, not too long ago, a clarinet recital, and I wrote program notes for it. And I thought, okay, yeah, maybe I'll do, they've got four works. Oh, yeah, fine. Maybe like a thousand words for four works. Oh, I, I can do that. But 
three out of the four composers were relatively obscure. Okay. And so then I just got into it and I was like, I want to learn about these composers. And so I got like super verbose and just got really got in. It ended up being like 2,500 words. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, limits on, on text, it's yeah. like I got to pair it back. Oh, I got to pair okay. it back. So yeah. you gave him like a little book. Yeah. Like, I was just like, I'm sorry. It's five pages. <laughs> Did he end up using all of it? You know, most of it, I think like he used about 2,000 of the 2,500 words. Wow, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. I don't know how he paired it back. Uh, unfortunately, it didn't make it to the recital. But they were doing some cool stuff, like this Alfred Uhl uh, quartet. Alfred Uhl, this is super fun, interesting stuff. Uh, so he was an Austrian composer. Uh, he grew up, his dad was a conductor of a light orchestra for hire, basically, in Vienna, and played public events and things like that. Uh, Uhl kind of grew up listening to the in the rehearsal hall like all of the instruments from like different perches in the hall mm-hmm. um so it was a deep listener from like an early time and then uh got into writing film scores because he was in popular music uh even though he was studying with um who was he studying with Franz Schmidt who was also a total like you know kind of uh what's the word for it a pioneer in his own way but then uh he got sucked into the you know after the Anschluss he got sucked into the uh German army and ended up playing organ for a uh, French POW camp in uh, eastern Austria wow I know and then got sent to the Russian front but like two months into it like the front of his right foot got blown off and then ended up going back to Vienna and writing this this clarinet quartet Wow. It was so crazy. Yeah, I know. Oh but it was so awesome. It's such a great uh, quartet, kind of on that verge of kind of impressionist, post-impressionist harmonies. Um, uh, not quite second Viennese school, but like some cool stuff, some weird quirky corners, some lyrical stuff, some mm-hmm. really playful stuff, but still totally accessible, even though it's kind of on the edge of, of, of tonal. Yeah. So that yeah. Th- that kind of music is your forte, would you say? Dude, I love everything that happened in like the late 19th century early 20th century uh in classical music and in through like the 70s and like the 70s is when Prague kind of took over uh but like Prague is so influenced by the composers of the late 19th century and early 20th century like a lot of these dudes like Emerson Lake and Palmer and King Crimson Mm -hmm. and yes I mean they were all influenced by guys like Brahms and Bartok and like you know they there are quotes like it's the whole second track of my favorite yes album is basically a synthesized version of the third movement of Brahms four wow yeah. God, you're such a nerd. <laughs> I am a total nerd. <laughs> I love it. Nerd. But I love, like, I mean, yeah. I just, I mean, everything that Stevie Wonder ever wrote, everything that Peter Gabriel was ever involved in, mm-hmm. every, you know, but before then, I mean, it was, it, it was the disintegration of expectation yep. of the formulaic, like, popular harmonic structure, the cadential, like, one, four, five, ones, you know, yep. your voice leading, you know, not not being allowed to take things in certain places. Yeah. Like the only anarchy we had before then was like in the Baroque with Bach. I mean, his contrapuntal anarchy, I mean, he was still very structured, you know, but yep. but that was where that was where I I found most comfort. And then the classical era happens and something like gets whitewashed. It's like Haydn was kind of on the right track, but then like Mozart kind of hooped it. Mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways. His sacred music is incredible. Totally metal. Like if you listen to his like, <laughs> like the C minor yeah. mass. Yeah, the great mass in C minor. 
uh, really, really metal. Like it's got some super deep moments that like harken back to the, like the Johannes Passion, you know, the Bach. Like it's just got dense, like gritty, mm-hmm. you know, dissonant sounds, and you yeah. know, it gets into like the you know, it's into this kind of like self thing, right? With him, it was this piety that came with le- like tons of conflict, right? And so yeah. it, it it's a different kind of music. It's it's almost selfless. It's not for some you know superficial aristocratic purpose. It's for for some divine you know reason that's inside of him so i mean i think that the music is different i hate wagner only because i'm so overwhelmed by him i have moments with Mahler where i am almost overwhelmed but i don't ever get there yeah you know there there's there's just it's it's construction for like through intuition and there were times even when dudes like schoenberg were doing that you know but then they're traumatized, mm-hmm. you know, and the systems where they it, it, like in which they live are just completely blown apart. And then, you know, so any system tangibly that they understand is is having to be reorganized. And so why not their tonal language, too? Right. Yeah. Um, and I just like when people are people choose to explore those fringes of of tonal language and try and find new nuance and you know make new sounds not just for the sake of making them but because they have evolved out of something instinctive and 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 human Mm -hmm. yeah yeah I think that's I, I mean I love this kind of music um I didn't discover it or really embrace it until I was in university mm. and I started hearing some really weird atonal stuff in like history and mm-hmm. then uh my professor um uh, professor Horton mm-hmm. I think I mentioned him in every interview but awesome. he um <laughs> he, he deserves it yeah he's amazing yeah. I love him so much he introduced me to um some music like I played Bartok yeah. my first or second year and then I was introduced to Schoenberg and I played a little bit of his like uh piano uh, studies. Yeah. And I, uh, my last year I performed some John Cage prepared piano. Oh, nice. Yeah, it that was, stuff is so fun. It's so amazing. And I, I felt like so like a little celebrity in school. I'm like, you're playing prepared piano. Um, yeah, right. And I, I love to, like, I mean, it's, I think it's still kind of sometimes hard to listen to, to really kind of ingest and, totally. and it's not like something I'd play in the background while I'm doing homework or something yeah. or, but I really do respect it as a, like a composer myself. And I think, why do they do that? Why did they choose those sounds? Right. Why? What were they thinking? Mm-hmm. And just to talk more about myself a little bit more. Um, it's Please. it's a. <laughs> I want to kind of incorporate these like these challenges into my like my pop music. Mm-hmm. So I listen to pop music, and I'm just I just I get so frustrated. I'm like, why mm-hmm. does everything need to be the same? Why is no one pushing as much as they could? And the people who are pushing are aren't always being represented in like Mm -hmm. so i want my music to be like weird so i'm speaking of writing pop music so i am writing pop music these (gasps) days are you don't tell anybody (laughs) but yes i know i know so it it all started because my friend marty this bass player uh he wanted to do this radiohead cover with me and i was Mm -hmm. like okay well sure why not yeah uh and we ended up doing it it ended up being like really awesome we did this cover of exit music for a theme uh or yeah exit music theme isn't that what it's called uh i don't know anyway so exit music radiohead uh and then i was like you know what i should be i should be doing some popular stuff and then i moved and i got a new instrument like a, an old piano but new to me instrument yeah. um and um could you find no, no a really good friend of mine oh, wow. her like childhood instrument her parents wanted it out of their living room wow and she was like do you want to keep this for me until i have room for it and i was like yeah man yeah for sure thanks oh, yeah awesome. my friend sarah yeah she's great um anyway um 
so, uh, you know, I kind of fiddled around with like little tiny bites of pop music, like Garage Band when I first got my yeah, like yeah, MacBook. Yeah. I was like, ooh, yeah, okay. It was in some fun vocal textures. It was just, but it was just like little snippets. And then I sat down at this instrument and I started writing this like descending, like modal kind of theme. Uh, and it kind of turned into a chacon, you know, it turned into this kind of, you know, ostinato type thing like not but it's like eight chords so kind of in the style of like uh you know the packle bell canon is the most you know yeah. kind of accessible if we were to talk to non-classical folk about it you know the, the packle bell canon but it's packel bell by the way it's not packa bell it's pack packel bell i didn't know that yeah. until i was like <laughs> 33 or something anyway it's because i just mm-hmm. i just dismissed him immediately because no one ever wants to have to listen to that as a classical musician yeah You're i like, teach it a lot i'm piano. sure you probably do yeah. the descending fifth sequence anyway so it's it's important to know those things. people who are listening sequence. who don't know what that is you trust me you've heard it maybe I'll include a quick little snippet of what it sounds like right now. Okay, so now you know what it is. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So anyway, so I thought to myself, you know, these eight chords repeating over and over and over again. Uh, what do I do? So I, uh, I, I wrote this really crunchy, kind of soulful, like half like Stevie Wonderish, half like Erica Badu-ish kind okay. of. You know, because that's like really where my ears were. I was a dancer as a child, by the way. So a lot of like. Uh, like contemporary dancing? Jazz, no. Well, yes, but I started more in like jazz and funk and like hip hop and stuff. Okay. So like Mad Lib is like my favorite West Coast producer of all time. And okay. he's like, you know, but that was later in life that I discovered him. But like I was listening to a lot of acid jazz, like brand new heavies when I was a kid, like when I was like 10, 11. Uh, so that kind of crept in. And then I started listening to Erica Badu and lots of Stevie Wonder. And so those progressive, you know, kind of harmonic the the really kind of forward thinking harmonic progressions in soul music and in in, in R and B music, they were hugely hugely uh, influential. So I start writing this and I'm like, okay, but I'm me, so it's not ever going to sound like that. It's just going to sound like pseudo classical and white, but that's fine. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm just going to make it whatever it ends up making. And so yeah. then it slowly turns into this kind of like James Blake kind of color, like because I'm using some synths and like started recording with Joanne Pollock on whose album wow. I made a little cameo, her last album, Stranger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I love sang this her. little desk. Can- I know, she's amazing. So I gave her and Aaron, her boyfriend, uh, Venetian Snares. They came for voice lessons a little while ago, and like my roommate is. She's one dating of- Venetian snares she's that's the reason why she's in winnipeg really yeah you didn't know that no i didn't and isn't yeah, they he had often, his... like europe right now touring uh i can't remember where he is right now he's some he's like in he's spain and all over somewhere. but yeah i mean he comes back he was just he's making little plastic models these days like he's like molding things now like he's just kind of gotten into this fun practice of doing it i don't know it's wow. very, yeah anyway wow so we were playing with plastic molds like yeah you should, I, i'd be happy like he's a very interesting human being uh but joanne is a little bit more charismatic and interviewable let's yeah. just put it that way <laughs> like, she, yeah she does a lot of the equalizer workshops at Manchester she does Music. tons of really amazing stuff and so she has also offered me her time to like help me like start shaping this thing and putting it down because i've never really as a classical acoustic musician made something like <laughs> yeah. a pop song uh, <laughs> using technology. 
Um, it's, it's it's overwhelming how much you have to do and how much you don't even realize. But it's also kind of ha- amazing how quickly it can happen. Like, yeah. we recorded like, well, it's a six and a half minute song <laughs> because I'm a classical musician and I don't know how to like, remember 2,500 words, actually. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I'm going to try and pare it back to like around five minutes. But like the second half of the song is pretty much down, basically, wow. as of right now. So, I mean, it's... Like, it's cool. It's cool that we can just kind of like, bloop, 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 you know, and cut and paste and like, you know, mm-hmm. record like three tracks over each other so that, you know, yeah. we can then like pan things and like come up with fun, like, you know, synth tones and stuff. Like, this is super new and so intimidating. Yeah, yeah. it's so intimidating. I'm used to dealing with the intimidation of like crazy atonal music and strange foreign languages like Hungarian or like Czech or Polish or whatever else I'm singing in. And like that's my challenge. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not used to this this technological challenge. Yeah. But it has also been so invigorating, uh, and I'm super stoked on it. I'll I'll play it for you later. Not yeah, on the yeah, air, yeah. but I'll play I'll play the. Clip I'm so excited. Okay, okay right. I'm really looking forward to okay. it. Sorry guys. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe in the future, and I can always share it on social media when it's okay. Yeah, people. when it's done. Yeah. So yeah. follow the Winnipeg Music Project and follow Sarah on social media. Yeah, uh, you can find me on because I also have a radio show uh, on the other yes. university station. Uh, that is called Cacophone, C-A-C-O-P-H-O-N-E. Uh, you can find me on the Insta or on the Facebook. And I don't really tweet. That's okay. And if you're listening to uh, the podcast, I will include links to that um, so you can find those later for your your um, easy access. You're so much better at this than I am. Oh, no, no, don't say that. Like, yeah. When you when I, when <laughs> I was kind of having this show and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's on radio for so long. She's going to like see how how self-taught i am (laughs) this show was never supposed to be a um a radio show and now it is and um it's great though mm -hmm. you're doing wonderful work miss ashley thank you you are also awesome that's kind of you (laughs) (laughs) let's just keep complimenting each other i love your hair (laughs) little little mutual admiration festival so uh did you know did you ever think that you would be doing pop music like that uh, you know what? I probably would have thought more that I would be doing pop music than classical music ever in my lifetime. I mean, okay. at all. Like, I was a pianist growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I started playing just before I turned six. And, like, but I would run around my house. Like, it would have, like, I annoyed my older brothers just profusely with the amount that I would just sing and talk. Like, and, and here I am doing it for a living. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, but I still annoy people with it, obviously. Yeah. I mean, that's, anyway. I disagree. Well, whatever. Well, some yeah. y- you're not one of those people. That's great. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad that we're here yeah. in the room together. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's a very hot room. It too. is very I'm warm. It's just to get melting shinier. a little bit. Yeah, just that, that little. My glasses just slipping down my nose. Um. Anyway, so uh, I started as a pianist, and um, and I was I just picked things up quick. My ear was good, and yeah. uh, y- you know, like when your ear's good and you want to listen, like it's that's really what it is. It's yeah. like when you're immediately inclined to listen, and when you hear something and you stop. Or, you know, like my my ears had, were always drawn to like what was playing over the PA at the mall, right? Or yeah. in the grocery store or, uh, you know, what was kind of humming underneath whatever. I'm, I've just always been an active listener and I've always been very much affected by sound. And so uh, getting to communicate with piano, like, I mean, it, I... I was good at it, but it was just never my instrument. Like, I just never felt it was my instrument. But then I, um, I played like... You know, some Rachmaninoff A2 tableaus by the time I was like, I was like 15, I guess. And I was playing some like heavier stuff, some Copeland, some, um, 
uh, some Genostera, and that's what actually did me in. I ended up with tendonitis in both of my shoulders. I moved oh. to the States, uh, and I was starting with a new teacher, and he was like, oh, you can play Rachmaninoff A2 Tableaus. You should be able to play this Genostera Sonata. And then, like, by the end of the Sonata, like, like my hands would be, like, quaking, and my forearms would be, oh. like, twitching, and, like, I wouldn't be able to, like, lift a glass. Like, I'd have to, like, hold a cup, like, with both hands kind of thing. So scary. And he's like, oh, you're just using muscles you've never used before. And, like, I ended up with tendonitis, and so I had to quit. And next door, I was living in Iowa, uh, and I was studying with this teacher who was... How old were you at this time? I was, like, I, I was 15, so this okay. was right after grade 10. Um, the summer, the grade 10 was when it all happened. Uh, and then just before grade 11, my parents were, like, or I was begging my parents. I was like, because I wasn't making music. I it was it was super strange. And uh, next door to the piano teacher I was studying with um, at this little Methodist college in Sioux City, Iowa, uh, was this voice teacher um, who was whose whose son, a really good friend of mine in choir in the choir was in at high school. Yeah, uh, was dating, and she was like, oh, and she's queer, and I was just like, oh, well, that's cool because. I'm kind of queer too and uh, that was a huge thing for me at the time because like when you're 15 and finding your identity and you want to be a musician and you're also not really part of the you know status quo in a place like Iowa mm-hmm. uh, you're like oh yeah I want to I want to go and study with this person so Dr. Dooley was like a huge role model for me she was an incredible soprano uh, light kind of had this um, like if you like mashed up Don Upshaw and Emma Kirkby Okay. So like one of those light soprano voices, but still really expressive and like super healthy. Um, she got me into singing some Bach. Uh, I sang my first Mozart aria, which was, you know, kind of painful. I was, I was, never, I was always more into Bach, mm-hmm. you know, than I was into singing opera. And then I started singing a little bit of Schubert song and I was like, oh, okay, this might be cool. Um, Were you aware of the contemporary stuff at that point? At no, all? I had no idea, man. Like, I didn't listen to classical music outside of the piano I was playing. Like, I was listening to, like, Jamiroquai and what else was I listening to? Uh, I was listening to a lot of Soundgarden. I was listening to, like, oh, I said earlier, Brand New Heavy. So, like, you have, like, the, the cross section. I was listening to a lot of punk at the time. Like, I also, <laughs> I was also wearing, like, the plaid, like, wool pants with, like, the D-rings on the side and the mm-hmm. straps and whatever. My I had this shirt that said like Charm School Reject, and I dyed my hair pink, and you know I was like you know black eyeliner. Yeah. I was a punk mm-hmm. kid, you know. Um, but I liked the classical I music. I want to see you dressed like that and then singing that kind of music. That would have been. I, I think. think a show. Well, okay. So the footage that I'm going to show you in a little bit, like my hair, I just gotten it cut into like this really sweet mohawk, and it was yellow, and I had purple on the sides, and then I was wearing this like sweet ass like purple. Oh, can I say that? <laughs> okay. Okay. I was wearing this purple dress with like a super super low V, so you could see my whole like skull Skull tattoo on my chest yeah Yeah. and then my tree on my back was like full on out as well so like i i do it just not in like i mean i still represent but still with with more tattoos and like Mm -hmm. a kind of even yet a more uh, adventurous haircut but yeah i guess i could whip out i still have my like 20 eyelet five buckle steel toed boots that i bought for myself (laughs) for like my 17th birthday i still have them i don't wear them very often but they're in my closet it's crazy you can't it's almost like you found yourself or your image really young and you just kind of embraced it and you know but I went I, I I went back in for a while I went back in for a long while and it wasn't actually until like I mean I my first master's recital I had a platinum mohawk uh but that was that was adventurous as I really got in my master's and then after I won Gray, that's when it was just like okay game over I don't have to 
I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. It was also kind of after Manny died, like the guy that who's um, who's represented on my chest, this, this skull mm-hmm. that I have on my chest. He was this artist who was a family friend of ours when I was a kid. My dad grew up with his younger brother and like I kind of grew up with his presence. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was one of those artists who faced a lot of adversity for his vision, not because it was a bad one, but because people didn't understand it. Uh, and he was a huge, like, spiritual force in my life. We lost touch for a really long time, and it was, like, maybe, it wasn't even a year before he ended up dying that I was reconnected with him through, like, a dear friend of mine, uh, Natasha Franzblow, who also did her um, uh, master's here at the U of M with Laura in Collab okay. Piano. Um, we were at Stella's one morning and uh, at Plugin, and we're like flipping through her social media, and we see this photo of some friend of hers from Halifax, and uh, I see this guitar, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, where did he get that guitar? That's Manny's guitar." Like, Man Woman had like made this. That was his name. Was well, his artist's name. He was born, I think, Patrick Kemble, but he changed his name anyway. So. He had this like snaky like guitar that was all folded up where like the, you know, the strings and pickups were and then yeah. like the the neck of it was like this kind of long phallic snake thing. Uh, <laughs> and this kid was playing it and I was like, no, that's Manny's. And so like we contact this kid because I, I had no idea where Manny was. Like my yeah. parents had lost touch with him. And uh, he he's like, oh, yeah, he's on social media. And I was like, are you kidding me like I have been looking for this guy forever like you know like for 10 years it had been 10 years I've been looking for him and uh and we got back in touch and I connected my parents with him like it was literally like it was the summer before he died and he died in like November of that year and it was super weird and then the September after that was when I got this and then it was just kind of like game on like mm-hmm. I have to remember that what is most important is authenticity and vision Right. Representation of humanity, empathy. Right. Opening people's minds to ideas uh, from perspectives that they may not have thought of thinking. You know, that's it's that's really what art can do. Right. It it helps you into new ideas from new directions. Mm -hmm. That's that's the purpose of art. Yeah. I love how you can just like can keep these continuous like monologues of, of I, can t- I can tell you're from radio because you, you're so good at talking and just t- and I can just sit here and I'm like yep I understand <laughs> good luck with your you, you're telling me before we started recording you, you got the arts and culture feature um, writer Big. at uh, the United. congratulations yeah uh, I, I wonder how you're going to get those word limits <laughs> I know me and my um, yammers yeah. yeah it's a good thing though because I, I struggle with ha- not having enough to say and so yeah um I love it. We have to take a quick break, though. We're going to listen to some music. Okay. Um, this song uh, by Libby Larson. She's a, a female American yeah. composer. Yeah, uh, very much still based in Minnesota. Uh, mm-hmm. Writes some really incredible song literature. Really wonderful writer for voice. Yeah, incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is a recording that Chris Kaler and I uh, made. We just did a recital at the WAG on the 28th of February. So it's not really just. It's definitely a few months ago. Uh, but it was the pilot episode of a project that I'm going to be continuing and that I just got awarded some really nice grant money from the Canada Council and from the Winnipeg Arts Council. So thank you to the Winnipeg Arts Council and the Canada Council. Uh, and um, this was the pilot. And it happened, uh, yeah, at the WAG. This was the last cycle that we performed. Um, uh, and it's the uh, Try Me Good King, which is uh, a cycle of six songs on the last words of the wives of Henry VIII. Oh. Yes. 
Uh, so we're going to play the last two movements mm-hmm. of that. Oh, I have to open it up on my phone. Which were um, Anne of Anne of Cleves, Cleves, and uh, then... who managed to get divorced while well, annulled. They she she was annulled mm-hmm. so that she didn't have to be killed. That makes sense now. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Catherine Howard was sent to the gallows. Yes, uh, yes, because Henry VIII was just done with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, a little heavy, but uh, it's great. We're, we're going to listen to that now. You're listening to the Winnipeg Music Project on 101.5 UMFM. I'm Ashley Banish, and I'm here with Sarah Jo Kirsch, and now you're listening to uh, Libby Larson. to God I had done as he 
When you're listening to the Winnipeg Music Project on 101.5 UMFM, I'm Ashley Vignesh. I'm still here with Sarah. Do- Shara. Sure, sure, okay, sure. We just finished listening to Libby Larson's um, final two, uh, I guess, movements, movements mm-hmm. from Try Me Good King. Yeah. about Henry VIII. The last yeah. words of the wives of Henry VIII. Yeah. The wow. six the six of them that were either divorced or killed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, wow. I know. That's super heavy. Um, yeah. How do you get involved in this kind of music? Like you said you premiere a lot of stuff. Um, okay, yeah. I mean, this Libby Larson has been on the market for a long time. And the the reason why, I, th- I think she wrote it, did she read it in the 90s? I can't remember. Uh, anyway, she writes for voice so brilliantly. So singers are immediately drawn to her music because it fits in the voice and she is sensitive to things that are sometimes technically difficult. But when she does set things that are technically difficult, I mean, there there were lots of things that were very difficult about both of those songs. Like at the end of the the, um, uh, Anne of Cleves, you pop up to this high C that's just like a little staccato high C. And a lot of sopranos, you know, you you hear this on, um, you know, juries or senior recitals or you know like fourth year recitals or whatever um and often like the girls will have to you know take this time to like you know scoop up there and just like really linger on it because it's a high c and they think that you know that's what they need to do but in the character of the piece you know it's supposed to be just like a little hiccup of a giggle but you really have to make sure that you're like right in the middle of that pitch but she does it in a way that it is possible it's just that it has to be premeditated. You have to think about it yep. before you get up there and mm-hmm. you have to figure out why it's there. It's not it's not some indulgent high C in like in Bel Canto. Yep. You know, this is a comical little like hit of a moment. And so, yeah, it's a little bit more challenging. It takes a little bit more time to figure out. But if you do, it's so much more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the that last movement, I mean, like 
there are these huge runs and this is at the very, very end of it. So if you if you blow your load early in the cycle, you know, with like just over singing, yeah. uh, you can't make it to that high C sharp at the end. Like mm-hmm. it doesn't work. Or is it a C? I can't remember. Either a C or C sharp. But it's just this screamy kind of moment. So you have to have all of your wits about you or else it's going to end up sounding like a screamy moment, you know. Yeah. So, I mean, there are things that like I wouldn't I probably wouldn't have tried that cycle 10 years ago because I don't think I had the chops you know but I'm like almost 35 now so you know they say that's when you're in your peak and finally like I'm feeling like I can do that flexibly like Mm -hmm. I'm never going to have the prettiest instrument but I can be as proficient technically as I I can be you know and and you really understand the music when you're performing like I I saw a lot of reviews of of your performances saying you really get what the composer is trying to to get out there with the music well I mean and this is something that we were just talking about in the little break moment was the the fact that when you as an interpreter rem- figure out that the music, like the the experience of performing is has nothing to do with you. That's when you can really harness the power of the score. Yeah. Because you figure out, okay, who is this person? What are they trying to accomplish? What is the story? And how is this person trying to tell the story? There are always, there are always cues. There are always answers in the score if you look for them. And as humans, we try and find, you know, reasons for everything, right? Yeah. I mean, for our existence, let alone for, you know, the, 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 some people try and find it through music and through processing sonically. Like, uh, and I feel like, you know, I learned more about myself through learning about these composers and learning about the stories they're trying to tell, learning about the poets and what they were going through in the times when they were writing this this poetry, trying to interpret it authentically, not necessarily from their perspective, but from a perspective that I can identify with and I can understand, not just for vanity's sake, not just to sing that high C, but to find the reason it's there and yeah. not to like, you know, like to give it its reason to really have organic momentum dramatically through these very dramatic moments uh, in in music making. I, I, there are some composers it's harder to find that purpose in, right? Mm -hmm. You know, some composers are just more interested in making lovely sounding music and that's fine. And, but that's not the kind of music that I'm drawn to as a human uh, who has uh, a lot of internal chaos uh, I find great therapy in music. I find there is an incredible therapeutic value, like an infre- incredible cathartic um, uh, experience to be had. I think that I have understood my life better through music that I've performed. Like, I'll give you actually a really good example. This is right before I started my master's, I went to VZ, the Vancouver International Song Institute, which happens every year at UBC run by Rena Sharon, incredible collaborative pianist, incredible chamber musician, and also coach. Um, she, uh, she had some director, I think he was from Minnesota. He was, he came up and, and did a little workshop with us. It was like the first or second day or something. And you know, being me, I was wearing like this teal hoodie, like zippy hoodie with like little coral hearts on it. Like if you saw the, um, I've had this sweater forever, obviously. Uh, if you saw the little blurb I did for Seven Deadly Sins when I did it, uh, yep. the, the vial with the WSO, yeah. that little blurb where I'm walking outside and mm-hmm. whatever. It was that same hoodie. So okay. I'm wearing that hoodie and like, I think I was wearing a white beater, like a, like a, just like a white tank uh, and some like jorts that had like holes in them. And uh uh, the the director guy that was running the workshop, we were done early and he was like, oh, does anybody want to come up and sing something? And like the pianist I was working with 
was amazing. Her name is Tita Chang. She's still based down in Vancouver. Incredible, incredible, incredible pianist. Like tiniest hands, but she plays every note. <laughs> like amazing. it's one of those, one of those like <laughs> freaks of nature. Yeah. Like she's just so good. Anyway, so and we'd been working together. We got along really, really well. Um, and she had no qualms about me and my teal heart hoodie. And we, you know, the, the I think his name was David. Anyway, he looked around the room and. Tina and I looked at each other and we were like, okay, we'll do it. And I remember another friend of mine who I ended up hanging out with much later uh, was like, oh, when you went up there, I was like, oh, who is this poor little girl in this teal hoodie with the hearts on it? She doesn't know what she's doing. She's like, you know, stepping into it, whatever. And then I, you know, of course I whip out my, you know, stuff. Like this was right before I started. I'm not, again, I'm not the greatest singer, but I know what to do with my instrument, right? What what did you sing? uh, I sang this Norman Della Joyo song and I had just... Uh, I was just about to break up with my girlfriend of like four years. It was a really tumultuous time. Uh, we'd lived in Victoria, like we'd lived in Calgary and then Victoria, and then uh, we moved out here. But it was, this was, um, uh, we moved out here because her family was here. And uh, like something ended up happening, something catalyzed it. I don't need to talk about it, but uh, I was in Vancouver, and this was like three months after that catalyst kind yeah. of exploded. And um, and the text uh, to this Norman Della Joyo song, which I had sung in my undergrad for my fourth year recital. And this was like four years later. I took like a good chunk of time between my degrees um, because I didn't want to be an opera singer. And that's what everybody tells you you have to do when you're yep. in an undergrad mm-hmm. program vo- for voice. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, I, I sang this text and, uh, okay, the text is, Oh, now to part and parting now, never to meet again. To have done forever, I and thou with joy and so with pain. It is too hard to meet as friends and love no more. Those other meetings were too sweet that went before, and I should have now love is over, an end to all, to all an end. I cannot, having been your lover, stoop to become your friend. Wow. So the director, we we sing it, play it, we perform it. He's like, cool. Now, Tina, I want you to go and sit with Sarah he says. So Tina comes over and he sits with me and he's like, Sarah, I want you to sit down on the floor. I said, okay. So I sit down on the floor. And of course, Tina and I, because, you know, collaborative pianists are also, I think, part-time psychologists, you know, so she knew everything that was kind of yeah. happening in my life because cause singers can't keep their mouths shut uh, <laughs> and they have to process their lives. Well, at least I do. Anyway, I have to process my life through, yeah. through my music. Mm-hmm. And um, so she knew what was happening in my life. And so she sat with me and she put her arm around me and we just sat there for a minute and I was sitting on the floor and then she just kind of held me for a second. And then David asked her to go back to the piano and start playing and I was still sitting on the floor and I sang it and like I was having trouble not weeping. I was having trouble suddenly like having like being able to detach myself from the ideas and from the text and I welled up and I sang the last phrase, which was ascending. And like it went to like this beautiful piano dynamic at the top of the phrase. Uh, and it was so difficult, but somehow I got through it. And then I like, I just started like t- tears started streaming down my face as soon as I stopped phonating. Tina finished the last like three chords. And then I looked up and I see everyone in front of me weeping. Wow. Like, everyone had just experienced what I was currently living through. Wow. You know, in that moment. And then it was in that moment that I realized how much power, how much, like, real therapeutic power music could have for me. Not, like, just 
just as a uh, as a, a force, not as not as some reason to get dressed up and uh, look pretty and sound pretty, but as a way to deal with life and deal with existence and deal with struggle and deal with joy and and every shade in between of you know what we feel as humans, what we experience as humans, and that was that was the best place I could be in to start my master's. It was like the yeah. most kind of, and also like my grandmother ended up dying like later that there's that same program. It was such a really tumultuous time that I, I ended up working with my girlfriend. It was just, just, it was crazy, but music saved me. Music mm-hmm. showed me myself. Music gave me a sense of solidarity. It made me feel like I wasn't alone. Like, like people before me have experienced things and people after me will experience those same things. Even though the world may change, humans take a long time to evolve and our emotional intelligence (laughs) takes a long time to shift obviously like i mean it's ecclesiastical i sang this piece a few years back by this composer jacopo boboniskilinji he was a student of barrios wrote it uh in his memory uh called concubia nocte in fact i did it here at the u of m the first time uh, and then i did it for new music festival a few years later and it's completely ecclesiastical. I mean, it begins vanity of vanities, all of vanity, like fundamentally, there is nothing new under the sun. Humans will always be what we are. We will always experience the same things. We will always feel these, you know, this spectrum of emotion. We will always have these different sides of of, of personality of, of, you know, um, like these, these different facets of like, you know, the conservative or liberal or the, you know, um, the outspoken or the reserved or like, you know, these polarities, yeah. you know, these, these spectral polarities, there were there, they will always exist, you know, and to think that we are unique in this moment is naive. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wow, it's, it's very, but that's art, that's history. And if more people were thinking more critically about how humanity has evolved and perhaps through creative means, and some people aren't really, you know, prone to do that, but, it teaches you a lot about yourself and the world around you, and it makes it all seem a little less, I don't know, dire. Yeah. I guess. And we're not as alone. Yeah. We're all yeah. in this. Yeah. Together. We're all hurtling <laughs> on this rock through yep. space mm-hmm. together. Yeah. yeah. And we're all going to die. Yeah. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, so I don't know uplifting. why I went there. <laughs> That's always where I go. It's all cycles. lately. Like circle of life. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um, we have to come to a close, unfortunately. Oh, wow. Uh, it's been so much fun talking so to you. Likewise, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I only got an hour. And sometimes it feels like forever, but like especially in this situation, it just flies by. Totally. So in the future, uh, when you're a famous pop artist, you can come back <laughs> on the show and promote your album or whatever you want to do. You're totally welcome. Thanks. Um, people who are listening who are, are in love with you now and want to hear your music live, you have some upcoming yeah. shows. Totally. Um, you have a uh, Brahms Requiem you'll be pl- uh, yeah. performing. Yeah. Uh, Knox United on the 24th of this month uh happening it starts at 7 30 but be there at seven because it's like you know it's a it's going to be a pretty awesome night uh it is a community choir mm-hmm. it's super great uh conducted by neil weisensel who is a local arranger composer in fact writing a new opera uh kind of it's titled riel heart of the north um oh. but it's based more around the stories of the women in the community uh, than it is particularly about Louis, cool. which is super cool. Uh, and I'm working with him on some Machif stuff. Anyway, so he's uh, he's asked me to sing this Brahms Requiem with his summer choir project, uh, the Brahms Requiem at Knox United. 
on the 24th. Uh, and then into September, um, I'm collaborating once again with local collaborative piano superstar Madeline Hildebrand. Uh, and we're doing a recital in Manitou at the Manitou Opera House. I've never been there, but I've heard it's kind of a magical little place. Mm-hmm. So if y'all feel like, you know, taking a fun little road trip, road trip to a beautiful heritage opera house in Manitou, uh, wow. should come on by. That's happening later in September. Um, and then I'm playing with Indra. Andrew Egan, yeah, who's been on the show a, a long October. time ago. She was actually one of my first uh, interviews that was when we were still a blog. Oh, wow. Crazy. I should have her back on the show. Yeah, you totally should. Yeah. Um, before that, though, I'm doing uh, a ground swell. A ground swell. Ground swell. Shara's a ground swell. Uh, I'm a singer. <laughs> uh, I'm doing a ground swell with Ayun Huang, who's the, um, uh, she's a percussion prof at McGill. And uh, she's coming in. It's a Michael Matthews curated uh, evening of soprano percussion and uh, a couple of other instruments as well are going to be featured on the program. I think clarinet, piano, uh, and maybe flute. I can't remember. Ooh, that's terrible that I can't remember. That's okay. It's still but at least October, clarinet and piano. So. But it's in October. Yeah. yeah. October 17th. That's mm-hmm. happening. Very exciting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then my big project. Oh, yes. right. Okay. So um, for those Libby Larson songs, uh, yeah, quick little plug once more. Uh, we are The first Friday of September, we are having a little party at Albert, or, or no, not Albert, uh, Gary Street Coffee, which is at yep. 333 Gary. Uh, and we're going to have a little 10 o'clock showing of that whole recital um, at Gary Street Coffee uh, as a little fundraiser for the coming Salon Neon season. That first recital uh, is going to be eight musicians... Uh, well, nine musicians, I guess, eight musicians other than me. So eight instrumentalists, singer. Uh, we're going to do some more crazy feminist literature, uh, John Harbison's Mirabai songs. And then Ms. Kristen Wachniak is going to be oh. arranging some Hildegard of Bingen for this ensemble. Wow. It's going to be super great. And we're going to have a couple other little bits and pieces. I think maybe a crumb madrigal on there, maybe just for fun. You know, it's going to be good times. It's oh going to be good times. The, That's November. Yeah, the classical or music nerd in me is just like, <gasps> I know, right? So excited. I know. Uh, I, I know. It's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. So everyone, make sure you come to that. Uh, and even if you're, this isn't like you're, the music you're used to, I know a lot of people who listen to the show are more like rock and folk, but I'm glad you're listening today because this is, I don't get to have many classical musicians on the show and I wish I had more, but I highly recommend coming and just trying something new and it's you will not be disappointed. This is going to be a fun show. It's so non-threatening. Yeah. Like, it's so non-threatening. Like, all of the repertoire you'll be able to identify with in one way or another. This mm-hmm. is all creative expression. It all comes from humans. It's not an elevated art. This is really... Like, I wouldn't choose music that's so esoteric that people aren't going to be able to understand it. Like, yeah. I want it to be able to be absorbed immediately. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm not I'm not going to put any Babbitt. I have memorized Milton Babbitt before. But I'm never, ever going to do that again. Why? It was for Eckhart Grammatay. Okay. <laughs> competitions. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Um, from the little I know about him, I, I don't know if I could do that. But props to you. <laughs> thanks, man. So, thanks so much for coming onto the show. It's this has been a lot of fun. Thanks. Um, for people who are listening and you want to hear more uh, of lo- uh, local musicians, you can go yeah. to winnipegmusicproject.com. We are also on Google Play and iTunes and soon to be Spotify, which is so <gasps> exciting. So make sure you follow us on social media so you can uh, know when that happens. Uh, I also include the links for Sarah on so, uh, the Winnipeg Music Project podcast post so you can find and follow her and... Um, yeah, 
this is it, I guess. Sweet. Awesome. Thanks so much. It's always a pleasure. Uh, we're going to finish the show with Swallow Songs by Matthew Ricketts. Yeah, the first song of a cycle that was written for me and Maddie when we were on the Eckhart Gramate tour. The first of the songs is called Skyla, and it's uh, full of double entendres. Actually, this the poet is the same person who was the librettist for this crazy awesome drag queen opera of Matthew Ricketts I got to do for Cluster a few years ago called No Mask for Good Measure. So uh, Lauren Rogner is the poet uh, for the Swallow Songs. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. This is the Winnipeg Music Project on 101.5 UMFM. And uh, I'll see you next week with another local music interview.